to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we shove our opinions into your ear holes. What we lack in education, we make up for with rants, raves, and rambles. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, returning from a, an approximately year-long hiatus to my little podcast that was once a once-a-month deal is now a once-a-year deal. Apparently that's my goal, that's what I'm aiming to hit, and that's what I'm doing now. Here with my fabulous guest, Hannah Lyman, who is a bioinformatics scientist and educator. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Great to be here. I feel like I'm impersonating a podcast guest. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners, of which there are many, what bioinformatics are exactly? So bioinformatics is just the use of computers to analyze genome sequence data and the associated other kinds of biological sequence data. So it's genetics with computers, basically. That sounds dope AF. Uh, we were discussing before we started recording that uh, this is good good for movie watching, but mostly for sci-fi film watching. Especially like superhero movies and stuff like that. When there's a mutation and stuff like that. It's, there's a lot of eye rolling going on <laughs> in my household. I like, we do a lot of eye rolling yeah. and bring your own popcorn, so very in theme although the movie that we chose is not in theme <laughs> hopefully i'm gonna have you back for another episode we're hopefully gonna watch underwater we had originally planned to watch that movie but it's not available we then chose the film that we're going to discuss because it popped into my head completely at random and then i texted hannah asking her if she had any ideas and she had a couple and one of them was this movie and i was like what are the odds that we would both think of this random 1995 coming of age film not a particularly good film but no. <laughs> but there it is it was in both of our heads and I was like that's what's it called serendipity synchronicity whatever mm-hmm. it must be we must be meant to watch and discuss now and then it's a coming-of-age movie featuring four girls and it jumps in time from 1995 to 1970 focusing um, on these four girls starring Christina Ricci Thora Birch Gabby Hoffman Ashley Ashton Moore Rita Wilson Rosie O'Donnell Melanie Griffith and Demi Moore Directed by Leslie Linka Gladder, which is, this was her first feature film. So she did a TV movie and then a bunch of TV episodes. This is really like the only feature film that she did that anyone remembers. And written by I, Marlene King, who also did a bunch of TV. And this was her second film. So I thought that was sort of interesting, both very new to the feature film world. And also I love that this is a movie starring, it's all about four girls, four women, and it's got a director and a writer that are also women, which like, I'm all about that. Uh, you don't see that very often. In, in 2018 to 2019, the percentage of women in film reached a historic high, comprising 33% of directors, 32% of writers, which is still incredibly low. Boo, <laughs> we don't like that. It's not enough. Before we dive into the discussion of Now and Then, 1995. First, we're going to discuss your relationship with film. So I started this podcast in 2013, and I knew in my head what I was going for, but I never articulated it really, other than my like silly introduction. But what it really is, is people's relationship to film. And that's not necessarily, you don't have to be knowledgeable, you don't have to be a geek or a nerd, but it's just everyone has an emotional attachment to film, whether they're really passionate about it or whether they just kind of like enjoy it as entertainment. And I think that's fascinating, the effects of film and people, the way that it can be like landmarks of memories throughout your life, different memories that you can have of experiencing film by yourself or with others, I'm, I'm into that. So that really is what this um, podcast is supposed to be, is about your relationship with film and your experience of film. Um, so on that vein, 
I have some questions that I've been asking my guests, but I never had explained before, like, why? <laughs> why am I asking you all these questions? So what was the first movie that you saw in theaters, Hannah Lyman? Aladdin. Aladdin, nice. <laughs> but I cried and I had to be taken out. <laughs> oh, what did you cry at? <laughs> the cave when it roars and becomes <gasps> like a scary lion mouth. That is scary. Yeah, so I was, I would have been four, I guess, three or four. So that was your first, that would have been with your parents. Mm -hmm. do, do you like remember it a lot? No, but I was told frequently that that was my first film. And then I caused such a ruckus that my parents <laughs> were taking turns like walking around in the lobby with me because they wanted to like, they had paid for the movie. They wanted to finish seeing it. And eventually they just gave up. They were like, oh, we're going home. And, you know, we had it on video as a kid and I would watch it and I, like I was telling you before that I fast forwarded the part that scared me of Jurassic Park when I was little, I would fast forward mm. that section of Aladdin too. I was like really scared of that. Even, even after I was like old enough to understand how to work the VCR, I was still kind of scared of the cave. Do you remember the moment when you stopped being scared of the cave? Probably sometime in last kindergarten year. or first grade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Last, sometime last year. <laughs> but I was scared of like a lot of my childhood favorite movies, but I would insist on watching them like again and again. I also was fascinated by like The Last Unicorn and I would watch that oh, again and again. That. It's kind of dark. There's like a genocide being committed against unicorns by this like <laughs> red flaming bull monster thing. Can you commit genocide against an animal? I don't know. But they're sentient. <laughs> I mean, okay. they... And one of the, the last of the unicorns like turns into a human shaped person. She becomes anthropomorphic and mm. it makes her, it changes her mind. And she like, be like being in a human body, like changes her personality and the wizard falls in love with her. And it's doesn't end very, but like basically she saves her people, but like she's been forever like changed mm. by she the She like experience. martyred herself basically. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think she dies, but it's. She sacrifices her, herself. Yeah, for like her, her sense of self for her is, yeah, for her to save her people. She's like a unicorn princess. And in order to save her people, she like basically, well, it's a you can never go home again kind of thing. Like gotcha. that she is fundamentally changed in the process. Gotcha. I'm probably reading too much into it because I love to do that, but I haven't seen it. But I feel like that's such a like trope for women in stories where women make these like huge emotional sacrifices mm -hmm. and it and it's not picture it's not portrayed as like tragic in the way that it should be tragic it's portrayed as like heroic and like yeah that's it's and portrayed is, as like goals yeah and like I don't really know I just remember it as being like tragic and it's also like it's kind of scary there's like a skull that's on top of a grandfather clock and that kind of freaked me out like this <laughs> it's a weird movie and like the the hero character this wizard is like a total incompetent and he's like bumbling through the whole movie it's an interesting movie I kind of want to see it now. it's weirdly metaphorical and kind of sad movie um for kids about unicorns <laughs> yeah and that is not disney because no disney would not go uh, there. it's not disney and i had a non-disney version of the little mermaid too where she actually totally disintegrated <laughs> into sea foam at the end Whoa. and i was like fucking traumatized <laughs> by this this was like, scary and like well because those movies were probably more based on or closer to the fairy tales they were based on because like disney didn't have any original ideas they would steal other stories but then they would disneyfy them so, like, yeah, instead of dissolving into sea foam, they get married or whatever. Yeah, and so that was, like, troubling. And I, but, I like. they're both troubling. Dissolving into sea foam, troubling. Getting married to, to someone Eric. you don't actually <laughs> yeah. know who saw you sitting on a rock and was like, let's get married. <laughs> yeah, also very troubling. Possibly more troubling than dissolving that's, into sea foam. That's metaphorically dissolving into sea foam. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
uh, so that was the first movie that you saw in theaters mm-hmm. with your parents mm-hmm. taking shifts. What was the first movie that you saw without your parents? So exciting. It must have been something in middle school. My middle school friends and I would sometimes go to the theaters, and I remember plenty of movies I did see with them, but I don't really know what the first one was. Do you remember a specific one? Or any, like, specific fun experience of, like, woohoo, we're, we don't, we're not with parents. <laughs> we would sometimes go to see, like, things we knew would not be, like, awesome. I know I saw How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Swim Fan in theaters oh. with my friends. Do you remember your first, like, horror movie? Because, like, there's a lot of movies that scare you regardless of if they're supposed to be scary necessarily overall. But, like, your first movie that's supposed to be scary. It was probably Scream. Oh, rented on video. Mm-hmm. Was that like a movie night with friends? Mm-hmm. Fun. Yeah, I had a friend who lived a short walk from a video store, and so we would. Yeah, that's that. some good '90s shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I miss that. Yeah, I don't actually really remember the plot of the movie that much. I do remember getting nervous enough at one point that when we were all nervous that we turned it on mute, and then it was like ten thousand <laughs> percent less scary because like most of what's scary about a scary movie is that the soundtrack is telling yes. you like you have to be scared. Totally. A lot of them use, like, that classic, like, the strings. Mm -hmm. And then there's specific instruments that are, like, only used in horror movies. Yes, that thing. So cool. It's just, like, exclusively used in horror movies. I'm sure it was originally used in other things, but... Okay, so then, uh, how about, let's talk about romance. Do you remember the first movie you ever saw on a date? I've seen some truly terrible stuff on on dates, because my early high school boyfriend I couldn't drive yet and neither could he because we were like 14 and neither of us had our permit yet and so our respective parents would drop us off at the AMC at the mall (laughs) that was like close to our house and and we would just watch like whatever was playing Mm. so I saw some truly awful stuff okay so our first date was at that movie theater but I showed up and he had chicken out and brought a friend who was wearing snowboarding goggles (laughs) and this is what I mainly remember but now I'm trying to remember what on earth the movie was did he wear them throughout the movie like on his eyes I think he may have pushed them up onto his forehead (laughs) during the movie to be clear I lived in California the Bay Area (laughs) and it was not winter it had to have been April or May so you weren't like Judging him in the mil- middle of a blizzard, he like came no. in full blizzard gear. No, it literally had never snowed at the location <laughs> of the theater where we were. Did none of the movies really stand out then? Because Not really. they were just like whatever. I just mostly remember that I wanted to see Bendit like Beckham on one of the oh, things, yeah. and I got overruled. Ah. And when we saw something else, it was like overruled truly by just horrible. him or him and his friend. I think just him at that point. And whatever we saw alternatively was like truly awful and I just sat there the entire time being like why am I watching this but he didn't want to see a chick flick bend it like Beckham yeah which he thought would be a chick chick flick um and I think we ended up watching some like terrible children's movie instead and I was like is is this this is somehow better than a chick flick fuck that guy yeah good riddance I assume it's not your current husband no (laughs) no um no and what uh what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened or that you've ever done in a movie theater if you want to share if it's like too embarrassing then do your second most embarrassing in a movie theater the most embarrassing thing I've ever done is either to shriek extremely loudly at something that really wasn't scary or to like cuss extremely loudly and surprise at something that wasn't scary in a in a live play theater I spit took into someone's hair one time and that was horrible I wanted to die it was, was like it someone you knew or no a it was a stranger it was so horrible and I 
of course I was like 13, right? So I was like, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. Um, so really nothing that's ever happened to me in a theater since then has ever been on the same scale of embarrassment because, you know, spit taking into someone's hair is awful. Was it was it water or was it like a sugary drink? I think it was water. Or was it just straight up spit? <laughs> no, it was beverage. But I'm trying to remember if it was soda or water. I think it was water. At least there's that. It, theoretically, that. it could have been hot chocolate because it was at an outdoor like theater festival oh, at night. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was water. <laughs> I have also projectile vomited into someone's hair that I didn't know very well on During an airplane. A movie? Oh, on an airplane. Oh, that's um, such a good segue. Keep going. What and that was just as embarrassing. It doesn't get less <laughs> embarrassing to project bodily fluids out of your mouth into people's hair. Even if you're a mile in the air. Yeah. Dang it. Speaking of being I'm a sorry, mile Samantha. in the air. sorry, <laughs> Poor Samantha. Wait, did you know her name in advance or did you find yeah, her name? I didn't know her, but we weren't like super good friends. Until after you threw up in her hair. Yeah. And then you had to be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what better foundation for a friendship is there? It's a life bond. But speaking of being on planes, my next question was about your Mile High Club card in regards to what movies have you seen in the sky, mm. if any. I know I saw Thor The Dark World in the sky without headphones. So, and there's definitely, <laughs> I, saw, I saw a pay it forward in the sky without headphones. A lot of times <laughs> I didn't want to pay for the headphones, so I'm just sort of like staring at a movie trying to decide what's happening. Wait, so, oh, so I, I assumed without headphones meant it was just everyone could hear it, but it means that there's no audio? Yeah, like I didn't have my what? headphones and I didn't want to pay <laughs> oh, no. for the headphones, so I'm just like trying to decipher the movie with like my mind. Um, <laughs> my, my refusal to buy the in-flight headphones works better for action movies because you can sort sense. of understand what's going on no matter what. Thor Dark World was probably fine. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Fine. I definitely saw The Illusionist in in an airplane and I did mm. have headphones that time so I actually know what happened in that movie. And it really stuck with me even though I didn't particularly enjoy it and I feel like the plot is extremely improbable and it's like disturbing but not in a very creative way. It's just like fucking disturbing. What's so, the, I don't know anything about it. What's the general plot of it? It's about competing magicians, Edward stage Norton. magicians, who are developing these like tricks and one of the magicians actually is a set of twins and so the way that they do some of the tricks is just that there are two of them so like they look like they're mm. teleporting but it's actually just two people fake and the other one is like just obsessed with like figuring out a way to make this trick work for real and somehow he gets nikola tesla to build him a teleportation machine i don't know why nikola uh. tesla can build a teleportation <laughs> machine but whatever and then it turns out that it's actually not a teleportation machine it's some spoilers if anybody cares for a movie that's really <laughs> old it's a machine that basically just like makes a new copy of him with all of the memories oh. and stuff like that so he does this trick where he gets locked in a tank of water on stage and then materializes at the back of the thing after a curtain has dropped over the tank but it turns out he's just drowning himself every night and being like reborn at Ooh, the back of the theater kind of fun and and so that's like the big plot twist which is like super disturbing i don't know i, f I feel like it's not that disturbing because he never actually dies and like what's the morality there well like... but somebody is dying the old one always dies but like he never remembers dying right so right. it's like not super disturbing for him but like presumably the one who is <laughs> in the tank dying is yeah. suffering from being drowned to death yeah and then he has like a creepy warehouse full of a bunch of tanks with his own corpse in what? Them. he keeps <laughs> them like just get rid of your corpse like do you have an unlimited tank budget like what why would he keep them i don't know <laughs> like 
buy a hog farm or like a big (laughs) property in the country or something don't just like keep a warehouse full of corpse sticks (laughs) i really appreciate your your directive to buy a hog farm because hogs love eating bodies yeah i mean this is what i know from watching movies i've never actually interacted with a hog in real life (laughs) but i don't trust them no don't trust them because I definitely think they want to eat me, mm-hmm. which is, you know, probably just in proper vengeance for all of the pork I've eaten in my life. It pops up in movies and stuff a lot, but I think it pops up because there's actually, like, stories of them eating children, like, and people who, like, their person, someone's feeding them, they fall over and just get eaten. So this is, <laughs> why do I know this? But um, it actually used to be super common to, in the Middle Ages, to try hogs for murder because they would eat children <laughs> so frequently. Um, babies and children and so they would run these trials where they would try hogs and sometimes cows and other livestock that you know had caused incidents and stuff oh for the God. damages they caused a lot of time and a lot of these cases are, are eating toddlers basically yeah because like people didn't really have fences or child care and yeah. so babies just got eaten by so pigs did, so did they get the death penalty and then everyone had a bacon breakfast i don't know if they ate them after they got the death penalty but they did get the death penalty they would be like hanged and stuff hang, hang a pig or something it's and there so were stupid. trials against other kinds of animals too but pigs were some of the most commonly litigated against just because they will eat whatever is in front of them how did we get there uh <laughs> pigs buy a hog farm for your corpse, for your corpse um don't just keep all your corpse tanks like, in your garage get a corpse warehouse buy a hog <laughs> farm much easier that's today's advice yeah do you feel like it makes a difference like when and where you watch a movie like watching it in a theater versus in a plane versus at home yeah I never really enjoy a movie the same way if I watch it in a plane, for example, just because there's like strangers moving all around, which I guess is true in a theater too. But Someone might project a vomit on you. Right. <laughs> I do like think, seeing things in the theater, especially things I think are going to be really beautiful. Things that I think are going to have like lots of scenery shots or lots of big crowd scenes. Plus, it's just fun to go see things in the theater sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Like, I love seeing movies in theaters. Um, And I started this podcast because I was working in a movie theater. And so then I was just seeing movies like crazy. Because the big thing that kind of prevented me from seeing more movies is just because it's so freaking expensive. But um, most movie theaters, if you work there, you get to see movies for free. And so I was just seeing them left and right because I love that experience. I'm also easily distractible. So it is nice to be forced to be a captive audience mm-hmm. like if you get up and move around you're on your phone in a theater you suck right <laughs> you can't like, do you don't that. do that <laughs> you must focus also you paid money if you did pay money you paid money so you're like oh, I gotta commit to this mm-hmm. I gotta stay and watch right I always like turn my phone off which is not something I do at home when I'm watching a movie <laughs> I'm not like I'm gonna put my phone in airplane mode because I'm yeah. watching a movie although you know what maybe I should like next yeah. time okay I'm gonna pretend like I'm in a theater I'm gonna turn off all the lights I'm gonna turn my phone to like airplane mode I'm gonna make myself some popcorn I'm gonna like sit down and you know make a plan to just like take myself to the movies to see this movie I Um, love that idea that's very bring your own popcorn like I think that's what it means you've discovered it that's what the title means (laughs) let's uh, switch gears and talk about snacks what are your favorite go-to movie snacks junior mints junior mints I ate so many of them one time in a movie that when I got to the dinner party that I was supposed to be going to after I was like eight okay so (laughs) it wasn't last year (laughs) I threw up on my actual plate at the dinner table (laughs) was it okay I need to know I know it's gross but I need to know how formed the junior mints were um mostly not but I think there were one or two that were still like pretty whole in there you probably smelled great though yeah I mean there's worse things to barf for sure (laughs) 
I don't know why I've been so talking about barf today. I'm sorry, everybody. I mean, I've been asking the questions. Le- leading questions. I've been leading, leading you. questions. There's no way you could have done that. But yeah. Have you ever have you ever walked out of a movie in the theater? Like nope. where it was just like so bad? No. no. Most of my guests have not. I seem to be one of the few people who has walked out of multiple. Did you walk out of multiple movies? I walked out of one of the Harry Potters. I walked out of um what's the one with Jim Carrey where he has a big long nose and Lemony Snicket? Lemony Snicket, series of unfortunate oh, yeah. mm-hmm. events. Moonlight, no. There's one with Ryan Gosling, no. Gosford Park. Mm. Everything about that was wrong that I said before. <laughs> Gosford there. Park. Uh, there's an Adam Sandler one I walked out of, which I don't know why I was there because I hate Adam Sandler. <laughs> I do strongly dislike Adam Sandler movies, and I've stopped them at home when I was like, <laughs> yeah. I clicked on one on Netflix, and I was like, maybe it won't be that bad. And then I was like, I hate everything about you, and I hate your face, and I can't keep watching you. you yeah, you keep getting burnt, and you keep going. Like, maybe it doesn't burn this time. Oh, yeah. nope. <laughs> Still bad. Interesting. I usually walk out of something's making me angry, where it's like, this is so not what you're supposed to be doing. Like, mm. I can't handle it. Oh, Spider-Man, the, the one with... um. The one with Andrew. The Garfield one? Yeah. With Andrew Which, Garfield. the first one or the second? There was, was the a second, second one, right? Yeah. He was not, Andrew Garfield, I don't have anything against him. Actually, as a person, he seems awesome, but he's not Spider-Man. The characterization of Peter Parker was, like, not to my, like, wasn't, like, it didn't resonate with me. Yeah. Um, in that movie. Yeah. My husband was like, he's too cool. Yeah, he's exactly. He's too cool. Peter Parker is not allowed to be that cool. Yeah, he's supposed to be a dweeb. Speaking of Spider-Man, though, we had an episode back in, I don't know, 2015 or something where my, my best friend and I were talking about the Spider-Mans and how we, we were resistant to the Andrew Garfield one because we felt like Tobey Maguire is just like Spider-Man, man. Like, he just is him, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't process moving on to another one. And then... Shit, what's his name? Tom Holland. Tom Holland came onto the scene. He is Spider-Man. He is a, he is to me, just, like, yeah, I totally know how you feel about the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I'm like, that's just, that's what Spider-Man is. But, like, <laughs> the moment I saw the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, like, retroactively, I did try and watch one of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God, I'm so fickle. <laughs> it's also less believable because Tobey Maguire full-on seems like a man he in his clearly late looks 20s, early older 30s. than Tom, which is like, I mean, Tom Holland is also not a teenager, he right? He older but than like, he looks. But he like, has better, he has a babier baby face yes. than Tobey Maguire's baby and like energy has a babier energy to him i also love some marvel movie that tom holland and jake gyllenhaal are both in um which has graced us with very nice social media content of them because they're like best buddies and so they like post videos of each other with like heart filters on them and be like this is my bro and like it's just so precious i do like wholesome male celebrity friendships same i'm super into it we need so we need so many more examples of male friendships in general. So anytime we can get them, like, because you don't see them portrayed in stories very often. Uh, like oh. Adventure Time is like I feel like one of the few <laughs> male friendships yeah. that's like really out there, and it's a dog and a boy, so it's not even as good as yeah. Humans. Last year, I tried to I was doing NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. and I realized that uh, I have no idea how to write men talking to each other because I don't know what male friendship sounds like because it's not in the books and movies that I consume. Yeah. And, of course, like, I have friends who are men who are friends with other men, but I don't get to see them interact with each other when I'm not there. Yeah. Right? So, like, I don't really know what, like, all male friendship time looks like. I don't have a good reference for that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this dialogue is horrible. (laughs) Like, all of my dialogue that was, like – 
female characters talking to each other or a male character and a female character or whatever it was I mean it wasn't great but it wasn't awful but like all of the scenes that only had men in them I was like this is the worst scene I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life this is so horrible I don't know how to write men like and particularly yeah. not men Why talking to other yeah. men yeah um, which is so like that's so telling because like I know you're a good writer like you're a very observant person like I've read some of your work and it's so interesting because so many so much of the content that we consume is written by men even when it's about women, even when it's like a whole cast of women, with the exception of now and then, 1995, <laughs> but <laughs> so often. So like, of course, like we, female relationships and friendships that we, we're seeing are, most of them have been written by men, which is fucking ridiculous. So you can only imagine like, it's such a weird feedback loop that we go into with Hollywood and film and media because we, we imitate what we see, which might mm-hmm. not be an accurate representation, but we're imitating it, and then it becomes reality. Mm-hmm. But then there's more stuff written that is another <laughs> inaccurate representation of reality, and it's <laughs> like this back and forth of like, what, who would we really be if we didn't have this feedback loop with Hollywood and media of where we're trying to emulate what we're seeing, which is written by men. Yeah, and I think that's it's definitely true with the movies that are like aimed at you as a, as a kid, right? Like before you yes. have a lot of experience to go on with how people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it is interesting that you that you bring that up, that like a lot of the interactions we see in Hollywood are written by men and sort of for men. But there's still not like generous portrayals of like men interacting with other men. And that's really strange. Yeah. And I guess that's like toxic masculinity at work. Yes. When you're watching a movie, you're always looking for like, are there any conversations that women have with other women that are not about men? And the answer is so often no. But I've the never Bechdel actually, test. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never actually gone and looked at it the other way that where it's like, are there any conversations that men have with other men in this movie that are not about plot that they're that are not about like the crisis Mm -hmm. that are just about like action taking action fixing a problem yeah that are just about like their interpersonal stuff and like obviously in some kinds of movies there are right where like the plot is about personal stuff but in movies where the plot is about like actiony stuff like I don't think we see the male characters really having like conversations with each other that are not about sort of like guns and mm-hmm. there's never they're never like hey stuff. man how you doing you holding it together you doing okay yeah i mean sometimes but like <laughs> yeah. not as often as that's as about the extent of it should. you doing okay and okay yeah. stop talking now <laughs> yeah i've never thought about like what is the reverse test for showing like men as fully realized characters oh who yeah are. and i don't know what that test the would male be bechdel like. test yeah, yeah. What like would that look like because maybe it wouldn't be about like are men talking to each other about something that's not women because I think that happens pretty that often. Happens all the time, yeah. But it might be like are men talking to each other about something that's not like an emergency or like Are they being vulnerable with each other? Yeah. But then you'd have to define vulnerability. Yeah. So, so in some way that kind of measures that. Like is there some sort of rule of thumb that kind of measures, you know, like are men having a meaningful conversation with other men in this movie yeah. about something? Whenever I see male friendships in movies or TV, I'm all, and I'm always like super excited about it. I'm like, yes, I'm like I want more of that, and I love I love seeing it. I'm blanking on any movies or TV shows, but there is a really popular, successful YouTube series called Good Mythical Morning, which is these two men who have been friends since they were like, I want to say like eight. And I have their book, so I had like read the whole backstory of their friendship and how they met and like Aww. how that happened. And yeah, they just like love each other so much, and they're so comfortable with it, and. There's a picture. Wait, Jake. Oh, you're giving an example of of a male friendships, oh, Jake and Amir. Good Mythical Morning. Is this one? No. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> uh, producer just showed me a picture of Jake and Amir. I don't know who they are, but they look like they're friends. So that's another possible example. Um, but I totally recommend checking it out if you just want to see. First of all, they're also really funny. They're really funny and they have like really hilarious, ridiculous content. I feel like your husband might like that stuff like um, it's stuff like will it pancake? And so they're taking different foods and trying to see if it will pancake. So it's Link Neal and Rhett James McLaughlin are, did I say that right? Are the Probably. Persons of Good Mythical Morning, which is a humorous YouTube series, but just this adorable, amazing, tight friendship that is just so great. Yeah, and that is great. And like, because I know like from, you know, getting to live with a man and see the workings of his daily life I do I have gotten <laughs> to actually witness some really lovely male friendships yeah. that way um which actually feels like a real privilege to be let in on a secret um yeah. it did because which I don't know why that should be a secret but um yeah. it feel it feels kind of like a secret because yeah. it's not something I see men publicly doing often enough um and that's changing a lot as I get older and my mm-hmm. friends get more mature and mm-hmm. And as the and the culture landscape. is changing yeah. a lot around that, and so that's lovely. But like, if I think back to like high school and middle school and stuff, like, what kinds of friendships did I see between guys? Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of like examples that I can think of that looked from the outside, from what I could see as somebody who was not like invited, not mm-hmm. in that place of like privileged, secret mm-hmm. knowing. Um, that looked like what I would recognize as a really like nurturing and supportive friendship, mm-hmm. but um. Not everything has to look like my idea of what a friendship looks like, too. So mm. there's that. Yeah, and we just don't know what's going on behind closed doors, and it's not being portrayed in right. film and TV for us to get a little sneak peek. Yeah. <laughs> Troy and Abed on Community have a great, tight friendship. They, they are, do. They are amazing. And they're my husband's favorite. Oh, like, nice. And he, he coaxed me into watching Community, and I was like, all right, I really appreciate that you introduced me to this, and I now, like, I understand so much more fully yeah <laughs> about your husband or about the the show the yes. love of the show everything <laughs> the universe yeah Troy and Ovid are itself. the best they're my favorite characters on the show besides Dean um de- Dean is de- the de- fucking best Jim Jim Rash he's so fucking brilliant I love him but yeah the Troy and Ovid relationship is clearly the only really solid relationship in that whole in the, universe in the whole universe yes <laughs> like, so we went over movies walked out of which was none except for me with all mine but what is the last movie that you saw in theaters i think the last movie that i saw in the theater was the movie that we had initially talked about doing here underwater oh, okay oh i didn't realize it was that recent i mm-hmm. guess that's why it's not that's, available online I think it's not available yet i think that's the last movie i actually saw in theaters when was that, that? Was probably in january i want to say oh super recent Okay. Yeah, super recent. And we might have a future episode on it. So we won't talk about it. So, so shut up. <laughs> so, well, but it's about water, clearly. <laughs> but under it. Yeah, under the water. <laughs> okay, so now we will get into our feature presentation, which is Now and Then. You brought it up because it's something that you've seen multiple times already. So what was the age that you first saw it? And tell me a little bit about your experiences. You were mentioning like a group setting. and What yeah. was that like? So when I was really little... I had these four friends whom I was really close with. Just like in the movie? Yeah, except there were five of us. So there's four people other than me. But yeah, just like in the movie. And that was our reaction. We were like, it's a movie about us. Which the math doesn't quite work out. So there was always a little bickering about who was who. Oh, no. Um, One of you had to be like the grandma. (laughs) Bingo grandma. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because there really aren't like 
There's not crazy a lot Pete. of secondary characters, right? There's Crazy Pete. Um, I mean, there are a lot of secondary characters, but none that, like, really, are like, in... match up. There's yeah. no other, like, young women, really, in the movie, except for mm. the scary waitress. Yeah. Janine um, Garofalo. Let's see. So I probably first saw it when I was, like, maybe six or, like, six or seven. Let's see. It came out in 95, mm-hmm. so I probably saw it maybe a year or so after that. I had a friend who had this awesome movie in-home movie like set up with a big tv which of course now of course i'm sure i would be like what is that little tv (laughs) but at the time it was a big tv yes you had one of those friends Mm -hmm. lucky and she had like the shelf the wall-to-wall shelf that was just like full of um vhs tapes Um, and it probably took up so much space but it wasn't actually like that many movies right (laughs) i thought it was like all the movies in the whole world because i was like six and we had been friends basically as long as I can remember so we went to preschool together so we were all yeah. friends since we were like two oh my God. um and we sort of like lived part-time at each other's houses and when we found this movie we basically would watch it again and again and again because like we kind of identified with this movie as this movie about a bunch of 12 year olds I guess mm-hmm. it's a bunch of like preteen girls girls on yeah. the cusp of their teens who are just basically running wild for Mm. a summer without any kind of adult intervention yeah Um, which I've heard tell is a very like 60s 70s thing or and even 80s and it started to die out at the end of the 80s right which was not really our experience of growing up I mean we were not like constantly supervised with hyper vigilance especially like when all of us would be together you know a lot of times our parents would all be like hanging out in the other room with each other so like they weren't really like directly supervising us but we were never like alone the way that the kids in the movie are we just like watched it on repeat you know like we I've I've probably seen this movie dozens of times but I hadn't seen it for like at least 15 years until this morning so and I was interested to see like how much I would remember of it and it turns out that like most of it I remember most of it like wow. pretty clearly that um, makes sense since you've seen it's it. just really thoroughly imprinted was, in there was there anything sometimes people will love a movie as a kid maybe see it once or twice and then as an adult they revisit and they're like oh my god what is this shit or like that's fucked up or you kind of were like that wasn't that did you have any moments like that um, I didn't have any major it? shock moments but I don't feel like I have a strong emotional connection to it that I had as a kid the total absence of men from the movie was actually really surprising to yes. me this time because like I I mean I sort of don't don't remember it as being this movie that has like a complete absence of men and, and I'm exaggerating there are a few male characters yes but they have barely any lines it's like literally a role it's a reversal of most movies right and some of the men play somewhat important roles in the plot but actually mostly the plot is totally driven by the desires of the girls and it doesn't really have that much to do with the men on screen that was actually kind of surprising to me as an adult whereas a kid that was like very matter of fact I was like of course why would there be men in this movie this is a movie about a friendship between girls like why why would there be any men in this movie but as an adult that was actually kind of surprising to see this like total dearth of like any a particularly adult male characters is really only three adult male characters and none of them appear for more than like a couple minutes yeah dad has two lines at the very end chrissy's husband and then hank azaria is plays a gorgeous the gorgeous boyfriend of um sam's mom and then crazy pete that's mm-hmm. it right i think sam's dad is on screen oh, oh 
just well through away, a window like yeah. yeah he and, and I think you can hear his voice through a wall right. and then you can see him drive away through a window yes. but like he's never like on sc- like Sam never speaks to him in the movie I don't think which so what you were saying before like how, uh, how you didn't even think of that as a kid because you were just like of course which is such a unique experience that there's no other movie that I know of certainly not that was like a widespread release like this one was that that any young girl could look to so I just think even though this is not a good movie it's just so great to me that it existed and that young girls like you and me I didn't see it till I was a teen but that we were able to be exposed to something like that when there was nothing else like yeah. that and even since then there still hasn't really been anything like that which is ridiculous because people who were born in 95 now are buying alcohol and like having babies <laughs> yeah it's like I have a fondness for this movie but it's definitely like not like good cinema you know like but it, right. and then that is it is interesting that you you say that and I didn't really know until you like raised it that like the director and the writer are women um who worked a lot in television but that makes a lot of sense to me um because it has this very daytime television sort of a feel to it which is also a very female centric sort of a genre true um in terms of like who the viewers are Mm -hmm. in any case or the intended viewers were at that time Mm -hmm. so that it's not surprising to me and it's not surprising to me that the that the writer and the director were women just because it is so like there just like really aren't any men in this movie which Mm -hmm. is it's kind of strange and that was really the only thing that really like jumped out at me as being like kind of surprising on rewatch I mean there's definitely some stuff that like seemed normal to me as a kid and I was like honestly that's like kind of messed up like the girls steal the clothing of skinny dipping boys at some (laughs) point like that that's pretty messed up it is messed up but you know what's great about it is that's a trope that you usually see in reversal and the reason that the boys usually are stealing the girls clothes is because I don't know because girls bodies are sexualized so it's definitely like a sexual thing whereas in this case yes they were looking at his at like the one kid's penis and whatever right. but it wasn't really like sexual it was more I don't know it was more like they're just being idiots and they were just like the, these they're the what are they called the wormers yeah the wormers <laughs> so there's this gang of boys that they call the wormers um that they're 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 like rival gang they're always running around alone and they when they see each other they just yell stupid things at each other yeah. like you wormy wormers and so it really <laughs> feels like it's just like two groups of kids teasing each other as opposed to when you've when i've seen that trope of boys stealing girls clothes when they're skinny dipping or swimming or whatever it's more of a sexualized thing so i felt like they were kind of flipping not only flipping that of like no it's the girls taking the boys clothes but also it's not sexual they're just punking each other yeah I mean like there is a there's like a moment of like semi-sexual curiosity where they're like oh I saw his penis and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but it's it doesn't feel really sexualized they're just kind of like what is this mystery of like puberty and adulthood it's kind of it's more like like they're pointing out like wildlife like that's yeah northern elk it's (laughs) it it is interesting because they there's like a certain degree of like titillation but they don't appear to be like it's it's like not sexual it's more like a prurient curiosity about like knowledge that they don't particularly want yet except (laughs) that they know that they aren't allowed to have it and so that makes it kind of somewhat interesting but they they don't yeah the forbidden fruit yeah but like they're not actually very sexually interested in they're not sexually interested in these boys at all right right like they're just kind of like let's get revenge on them for throwing balloons full of green jello at yes. us <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that scene was so funny and it was funny to me so the, yeah the warmers come and throw balloons at them full of green jello but their reaction when they were just like oh it's jello like that was like the worst That's thing the it worst could part. be <laughs> like it could be something uh, so much grosser than jello yeah, there's so many things it could be like 
Jello. Oh no, <laughs> food. So like obviously it's pretty messed up to steal someone's clothes, but like it feel it in the context of the movie it feels pretty harmless, which like as an adult I feel a little bit weird about being like, oh that feels pretty harmless, but that is kind of how I thought about it as a kid too. Um and plus this movie really made me want like a nemesis gang of <laughs> of children's that I could get in like awesome yeah. adventures which we never had a gang of nemeses. See what I kind of liked about it and where, where I didn't see it was messed up because I can see it contextually as being messed up um but what I like about it is like if you can I think if they're a little bit younger it's less messed up if you can subtract like any like sexual thing out of it it is just like kids fucking with each other which we so often want to put pair if there's girls and there's boys we want to pair them up and put them in a romantic or sexual situation but ultimately before you've hit puberty like kids just like want to play and have fun and fuck around and be assholes to each other and yeah. I, I want to see more of that, of, like, kids just being kids together and not having stupid crushes and Yeah, all that and bullshit. I do think that the relationship of the girls to the boys, not just the Wormers, but, like, all the boys in the movie is kind of interesting because they do, like, they get in a fist fight with a bunch of boys who tell them that they can't play sports. And, like, really only one of the girls is sporty and wants to play sports. Mm-hmm. But the other girls leap into her defense when mm-hmm. she gets into this fight. Um well, first they try and pull her off, and then one of the boys says something nasty about her mom, and yeah. so can't do that. <laughs> yeah, and then all bets are off. It's like full on <laughs> brawl. But and, and I think that there is something interesting about the relationship of the girls to the boys there. In that, first of all, it's it's not homogenous. All the girls have different relationships to boys th- from each other. But mm-hmm. second of all, they they sort of like vacillate back and forth between like trying wanting to have this more mature kind of like romantic and sexual interaction with boys and and still having it feel natural to them to have a sort of a just a like you boys are icky kind mm-hmm. of a, a reaction to them or just a like well I don't really care about your existence except like just let me play sports with you or yeah. like let's just you know play playground games or torment each other with water balloons or yeah, whatever which I think is such a good encapsulation of what like being on the cusp of puberty really really was like it wasn't about what's usually portrayed as a lot of like the crushes and like does he like me and like that you see a lot of that like I don't know even in like Freaks and Geeks and like Lizzie McGuire and yeah that was present but like I I like to see more of this of like that that shift from childhood of like we're all kind of the same into like but there's all this other stuff that we're like supposed to be doing and what does that mean for us especially for Roberta who's the tomboy who likes sports and his um binding her chest at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the movie which I thought was a really I think that was a really bold thing to have in a movie in 95 Mm -hmm. less bold than it would have been a decade earlier but yeah pretty bold um to show a girl binding she I don't she doesn't really want to be set apart from her brothers and she doesn't really want to be marked out as going through puberty earlier than mm-hmm. other people yeah which um, for me that was super relatable and even seeing it when I saw like I said I didn't see it until I was a teen but yeah seeing that I never binded but I still was like I totally get that yeah <laughs> that's I think so cool to see in my friend group we found her super relatable for for that and some of her other characteristics although not mm-hmm. some of the things she does are, are not relatable at all like she she fakes her death at I one was part just say that, yeah. and that was always like a huge like all of us were always like oh my god that's so messed up like yes. I would never do that to you that's like so awful yeah, she like pretends to drown which is like a truly horrible thing to do to your friends and, and has done it before yeah she's she's done these 
sort of like stunts before and then one of her friends like decks her yes Chrissy, <laughs> Chrissy who's like the weakest of the gang sucker punches her which is pretty great yeah but what one thing I found super interesting about that about her faking her death um multiple times is that was that whole thing was very psychological it was addressing childhood trauma and how she was expressing her reaction to her childhood trauma which is that her mom died in a terrible car accident the narrator which is Samantha one of the girls the narrator explains that like we think that she was trying to find ways to make death funny and find ways to laugh at it which is like so insightful and such again such an interesting thing to give to young girls that would be watching this movie and seeing themselves in that to be able to be like oh that people can act in ways where you don't realize it has a connection to other shit that's going on in their lives yeah I do think that was uh, like interesting for me to hear as a kid like I found that scene like really kind of scary and anxiety inducing as a kid but it I think it was also kind of like probably good for me to hear the message that like sometimes people do things that don't make sense to you but like they have a reason for doing it there there is that about it but yeah I find to me the character who I feel like is the least the most hard done by by the movie is Chrissy I feel yes. like yes like, why? Yeah, they're um, not nice to her. So, like, Chrissy is, she has a very, like, overprotective mother. And she's a very, she's, like, a, a good girl with, like, capital G's. And that's kind of, like, her whole persona. Except for when she gets to punch Roberta in the face because Roberta <laughs> faked her death. And when she punks all of them in the graveyard. Oh, yeah, that's pretty great, too. <laughs> so, sometimes she gets a moment to be, like, to come into her own. One thing that I felt as a kid that I felt even more strongly today when watching this was that like adult Chrissy the plot doesn't give me what I want for adult Chrissy because adult Chrissy is still living in her childhood home yes. which is decorated the same way that it was yeah. and she's the movie plot happens because everybody is getting back together because Chrissy is about to give birth to her first child as a child I was just kind of like oh man, like Chrissy's kind of boring and nobody wants to be assigned to the job of Chrissy. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I'm like, it's kind of troubling to me that the movie puts Chrissy in this position where she's about to have a daughter and yet she really hasn't moved on at all. Mm -hmm. Or at least there are no visible markers that she's moved on at all from her childhood. Yeah. Which I think is interesting because one of the things that Chrissy says to the other women is that she thinks that they need to grow up. Yeah, right. Um. <laughs> Which also that so that's in the the finality finale is that they are kind of they're sitting in this treehouse that they bought when they were kids and it's still there wow and they just kind of all have this emotional moment it's not really organically doesn't really come up organically no but they just you know it, it's very clearly a plot device of like well they need to have this realization Samantha cries Samantha's like the narrator so she's sort of like the main character and then Chrissy tells them like they need to grow up type of thing and that's it's a very weak ending I think is one of my biggest criticisms of the of the film in addition to the treatment of Chrissy like you were saying yeah so I'm not saying that I think that the fact that Chrissy is married and has a kid is like means that she you know is somehow less accomplished right. than than the other women who are more focused on their careers but I find it a little bit weird and creepy that she lives in her childhood home that's still decorated the exact same way it was when she was a child but there's also an interesting commentary there where I'm not sure what the writer thought because so in that final scene it, they go around and kind of ask like who's happy and who's not happy type of thing 
only person who's happy is the one who's married and has a child. The rest of them are not happy. And that kind of freaked me out as an adult. I didn't really notice that as a kid. And as an adult, I'm like, well, that's kind of gross Mm -hmm. that that this, like, is this movie. Because as a kid, I was like, well, clearly Sam has the best life. She's cool and glamorous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The writer. The the cool writer. The cool cool writer who narrates the thing and is a chain smoker. Yeah. And And also Demi Moore. Like, I've never... I always people like talk about how hot she is and I never saw it before but she's super hot in this movie yeah so she's beautiful and she has like this glamorous braided Frida Kahlo hairdo <laughs> yeah. and these like dramatic sunglasses and like menswear mm-hmm. thing like but like feminized, like a feminine like, menswear cut. yeah it's like yeah. cut and fit for her um that like nips her waist in really little and mm-hmm. like she looks very dramatic she's dark lipstick and dark nail polish and chain smokes and mm. is cynical and, and when they when the, fabulous when is it teen, when teeny asks her what she's working on meaning her work she says my tan yeah <laughs> which is so cool hilarious because she's not tan at all she's not um, tan she's also like there's like no skin exposed right she's like she has a, like a nearly goth aesthetic <laughs> As a kid, I was like, well, clearly, like, she's the most awesome. Yeah. It didn't really occur to me that, that the movie might actually want me to think that that the, the new mother is the most happy. Yeah, which, but that's the, that's the other confusing thing is because I don't, so it presents that Chrissy is the only happy person, but also it presents her as in not a favorable light. Right, like, the movie doesn't seem to like her very much. So it's, it's a weird, it's kind of like a, a self-misogyny, like a misogyny is coming from inside the house kind of thing. It of is like... kind of, it's, it's a little weird because it's like the, the, I mean, I just, I can't tell whether or not the movie wants us to think that she's happy. Yeah. Because like, I don't feel like the movie likes her very much. Which actually, no, yeah, I think so too. And I think it actually fits with, I have in my notes that, um, I think that Samantha is the Mary Sue, I think it's called. It's a it's a writing oh the like sort of like self insert kind yeah. of yeah so Mary character. Sue is a term usually in literature but sometimes people use it in other things where it's it's poor writing because it generally is you're just trying to put yourself into this idealized version of yourself in whatever you're writing and I felt like Samantha could be a Mary Sue yeah you can just it, they have a certain feel to them where you're like someone wouldn't really say that and people aren't reacting to that character the way they would really react because they're reacting in this idealized way yeah which is really illustrated in the treehouse scene when she's like crying and saying all this really dramatic shit and no one is saying anything yeah, <laughs> they're just quietly just, like, listening letting her have her say <laughs> there they're like and then they're like we love you and we're here for you yeah. not like why are you such like not like we barely know you anymore and you're really cynical and like yeah. like we're sorry that you're unhappy but like we can't really fix this for you or whatever which if it is a Mary Sue it makes sense that like so picture if you're actually Samantha and you have this like stupid friend like okay I feel like Chrissy is portrayed unfairly but she's portrayed as like being stupid and kind of like uh, what's the word like ditzy and just like right weak. yeah I mean I feel like it's in the childhood they're, they make fun of her a lot in the childhood mm-hmm. scenes for, like, not knowing stuff about sex because her mom yes, keeps a lot of information from sex on her. And the funny thing is I do get the feeling that you're kind of supposed to think that – there's some of the scenes feel like you're supposed to get the feeling that, that Chrissy is kind of ditzy or airheaded mm-hmm. or stupid. Yeah. But then again, Chrissy is also the one they give control of the money mm-hmm. to. That's true. And she does play that prank on them in the graveyard. Yeah. And she's the only one who is going to actually do CPR – when That's they pull true. Robert out of the thing. So it's like, That's I true. feel like the plot can't decide whether or not Chrissy That's very is true. like 
spineless because I think she's kind of presented as being kind of spineless but then there's these moments where she's really not yeah and it's interesting because she's she's like the good girl but she's also the skeptic like mm-hmm. in there's this whole plot line that has to do with like seances and stuff like that and Chrissy yeah. is the skeptic which is very much like a typical good girl character would not be a skeptic yeah, like, she might be scared and think we shouldn't be doing this mm-hmm. because it's, like, Satanism or whatever. Yeah. But, like, Chrissy is, like, this is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is stupid. Why do you guys believe in ghosts? Yeah, like. Which is legitimate critique. <laughs> um, which I think is is kind of interesting. But, like, and then adult Chrissy, all of that spark seems to be gone. Yeah. Like, you don't see adult Chrissy making snarky commentary mm-hmm. on things. Other than you guys need to grow up. Yeah. Which is why, which is, like, so I kind of see this as being, like, Samantha, the Mary Sue character, that she actually has this friend who's, like, lost that spark, but also is happy. So it puts you in this, like, weird position of, like, my friend has grown and changed from me, and I simultaneously feel like they're better than me and lesser than me at the same time. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about, like I said, I've seen this movie a lot of times, but sometimes that makes it hard to think about something critically because you're just like I know what happens in this movie like I don't need to think about it critically and I think you're right that Sam does feel very Mary Sue in that I mean she is the perspective character not the whole time but she's a narration character for the contemporary 1995 scenes she's the only one whose thoughts you get to hear right and so it's her interpretation of other people's actions that you get to hear and I think you're right that like maybe she is kind of a an insert sort of a thing where it's that the message of the movie is is maybe supposed to be about like growing apart but still keeping in in touch with you know your childhood friends and like female friendship between people who are really not that much alike but that part of it that there is some almost containment not contamination but like some sort of like spill over of this kind of like Sam's contemplation of like what does like happiness kind of look like and like what is like normal and Mm -hmm. yeah normalcy is brought up no yeah like so Sam has a thing with like normalcy what kind of like normal and happy look like and is that something that she really wants I think that's an interesting insight that like Chrissy makes adult Chrissy particularly makes a lot more sense when viewed kind of thinking about adult Sam as being the author of the Mm -hmm. screenplay yeah if you think about adult Sam writing Chrissy and not Chrissy like being written by some omniscient thing then Mm -hmm. it then it really makes a lot more sense yeah because if it was an omniscient narrative then we might get to see the other more complex aspects of this character that have to exist (laughs) right like presumably other stuff is going on in her life other than like picking curtain colors and stuff like that (laughs) but like yeah pretty much looks like she just like buys magazines so she's kind of like this like caricature of a bonbon eating housewife which feels really unpleasant she has this vanity in her bedroom that has like 18,000 little tiny cut glass bottles of like perfume and powder and stuff in the first 1995 I don't Mm -hmm. know if you noticed this, but Roberta is coming over to Chrissy's house with like groceries and stuff. And Chrissy is like, she's sitting at the vanity, like singing to herself and she's like curling her hair. And then she sprays everything in Aquanet before she goes down to answer the door, even for like her childhood best friend who still Mm -hmm. sees her like all the time. Yeah. Right. And it pans across her vanity in this really like close up way. And there are like 
hundreds of little bottles of like perfumes and tinctures and like Dang. cosmetics and stuff all that. over the surface of this glass topped like pink and white kind of bedroom set looking thing that's very like what a eight-year-old girl thinks that a glamorous woman has in her bedroom yes that is something else that I had written in my notes the adult the adult dialogue because like I said like we've said the writing on this is not great there's a lot of things we appreciate about it and there's some of it that's just like it's a little bit Mary Sue of like what you want people to say as opposed to what they would really say but I wrote the adult dialogue reads like children imagining adult dialogue yes. <laughs> Yes. For some reason, the kid dialogue is better than the adult dialogue, yeah. which is weird. Yeah, I mean, I think it does make sense because adults have more complex conversations. True. And so getting Second that right and... is sometimes probably harder. Yeah. But um, yeah, the adult dialogue is not great. Another character on that line, Roberta, I think, is also another character that as her adult version is really like shafted because she did not feel like a full body. Like she just it snark. Everything she says, a one-liner, snark. Yeah. Snark, she doesn't snark, snark. have, like, any kind of... I mean, it, they say, like, oh, she's living with her boyfriend and stuff like that. But, like, she doesn't seem to have any personality other than that she's, like, the town's snarky doctor. Only the kids <laughs> in the town love her for oh, some reason. Like, that. it seems like like the kids are, like, want to play basketball with her oh, at some point. And, like, so it's, like, I always thought, like, oh, well, she must grow up to be, like, really cool and, like, well-beloved yeah. of the town. But, yeah, like, she doesn't – in fact, I don't think anyone but Sam really has a line that's more than one sentence mm -hmm. at any point among the adults. Which, which again, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Feeds into and it also makes saying. sense for Sam's perspective of Roberta if, like, she's not staying in touch with her and also isn't, didn't make an effort to figure out who this person right. is. So this you, is her perspective. Oh, if you sort of think, snarky. like, Sam, the writer, is kind of actually – writing this story about her trip home in terms of how it had an effect on her not really in terms of having closely observed her childhood friends and seen what their lives are like but just thinking about like what did it mean to her to go home mm -hmm. it kind of does make sense and I didn't really think about it that way but it's funny that I never really had that thought because it is actually fairly explicitly framed as like Sam's narration of her yeah. voyage home because she is... opens with this quote about like and I forget who she attributes it to but like Thomas Wolfe John Wolfe something wolf something wolf um the, like you can never go home again and in the end she wraps it up by touching back on the quote and she says like he may never have been able to go home again but I was and like I'm really grateful for that or whatever something like that so it is pretty explicitly framed as like the story of her trip home as an adult yeah but like it never made the connection to me that like raised this idea which I actually is changing the way that I see this movie and that <laughs> I really like it that like the actual dialogue of the whole movie the actual screenplay is like all in Sam's voice yeah and I didn't see it that way the first two times I saw it either which is weird because I mean it makes sense because what you think of it as is a coming-of-age film about a group of girls like it's about female friendship a whole group because that's so beyond the introduction of the adults and beyond the ending of the movie which ends with the adults everything in between that is these girls going through adolescence and having these experiences together and supporting each other so it is definitely kind of framed weird in that way which I read a couple of reviews including some from Roger Ebert R.I.P. who hated the film oh yeah it was <laughs> hand critically the, yeah. the critical reviews on this movie were just abysmal but most of them I found a couple good ones but yeah most of them were bad but they were also all written by men and I had some big issues with Ebert, yeah, has a 28% um, on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, but then an 83% for audiences, which makes sense. 
particularly when you consider that most critics are male, at least at the time of this movie, or that would have probably seen this movie, because I don't think modern critics are going to go back and watch this movie. Why would they? Other than us. <laughs> but uh, I had some issues with like a lot of his critiques, such as, so like he was mad that there was barely any men. He, it's Wait, not like, he really? not explicitly, but like he criticized like how dad didn't have enough lines, like Chrissy's husband didn't have enough lines. Because it's not about him. Yeah. It's Why? about their childhood. <laughs> like it's just a frame story. Like there's yeah. literally like... Which I thought was really funny. It's like, yeah, now you know how it feels, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> now you know how it feels. When the when the wife has, like, her line is, like, she comes in and brings lemonade. Anything else, boys? Like, yeah. Um, that's basically what he does yeah, the in the hospital room. Yeah, the only line is, like, did I miss it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're good. Cool. <laughs> and he also, he kept calling different things, like, cliche. Like, he called the birth scene cliche. But to me, like. I mean, it's, it feels the same as. Yeah, I mean, I see what he's saying, sort of, because it's, like, very similar to a lot of other television births where it's just, like, yeah. a, a pregnant woman screaming Fair a bunch. Enough. But that is also what actually happens when but, a baby is born. But, like, actually, I think the, the female friendship aspect of that scene is, is different than, like, ER or whatever, like, the other yeah. kind of, like, cursing pregnant woman thing mm-hmm. where, like, you have, actually, Sam is, like, super, she's having, like, a really real moment mm-hmm. about, like, life and mortality yeah, and, and stuff. Yeah, Demi Moore in, did, like, a great job there. of, like, showing all that on her face. It was uh, great. Which, again, yeah, maybe this is actually secretly just a movie about Sam. And <laughs> everyone else is just there to play a supporting role. Because, yeah. like, Sam is actually, like, I think she is actually the star of that birth scene. Because, like, mm. Chrissy isn't really given a lot to work with there. Yeah. She's just, like cussing loudly which is played for a laugh because Chrissy is always like don't cuss to like all the other don't swear to all the other women and then she's just like shit (laughs) a bunch in this um scene and like you know crushing people's hands and cursing and that's that's all she's really doing which I think is probably pretty normal not that I know from personal experience (laughs) and then one of the friends is the the nurse delivering or doctor delivering the baby which also is not a cliche baby it's it's kind of silly and hokey, but it's not a cliche. Right. But like a Roberta, I, th- I mean, it's a pretty small town, I think. It's supposed to be a pretty small town. And I, I think Roberta is basically the town's doctor. So like yeah. that is, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit silly, but it's not like super weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the movie is a, sort of like a coming of age movie pastiche of a bunch of coming of age movie tropes. I'm not surprised that he was like, this movie is a giant cliche. Yeah. But uh, is there any other coming of age movie with all girls? I don't know. Because I think that sometimes there's a time time where you can be like, yeah, it's really cliche, but we needed it for women. As long as it's not like hackneyed, written by men, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's just like not yeah, really how know. women and girls act. I don't act. know what the other girl coming of age movies are. This one was mine, my yeah. girl coming of age movie. There are, I think, some, but I feel like they're not groups of girls. There's research there's like, happening okay, here. Producer has research here. Those are all... Okay, there's a list of here. Diary of a Teenage Girl 2015, Edge of 17. I think that was a couple oh, of years ago. Think. Pretty Pink was the 80s. Wetlands was like 20, like 2013, 2014. So these are all pretty recent. So there are not a lot. Whereas like for boys, there's like Stand By Me, Monster. People who are like, oh, it's basically the same as Stand By Me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually seen that one. Oh, okay. It's, It's super good, but it's not the same. And also like it doesn't matter because we still need it for girls. Like you can't just be like, well, we already have it. But with boys, which is totally different. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is definitely, like, it's definitely a movie. Oh, The Goonies. Like, Stand By Me, The Goonies. Monster Gang. Monster Group. Monster Team. Monsterhood. 
Monster Squad. <laughs> Monster Squad. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Those are the, just off the top of my head, a handful of coming of age movies about groups of boys. Yeah. Which I've never seen any of those. They're all good to give them credit. Yeah. I've heard awesome things about a bunch of those movies. I just, I've never seen any of those. I've just seen this movie dozens of times, which is ridiculous because it's just not that good. <laughs> but which is also awesome because it would be great if it was good. But it almost doesn't have to be that good because it's so, like, what other movie is out there about four girls with only three male characters? Actually, four because we forgot about um, the Wormer boy that Roberta right. kisses. Yeah. And it's written and directed by a woman. Like, I don't, I think it's, like, that's, like, huge. I don't know if there is another movie out there like that. At the very least, not an independent film that is not, wasn't widely released in, like, all theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Are. So, yeah, I think that's. But and my mind is like totally blown by the idea of like maybe this isn't actually a children's movie. Like maybe this is actually sort of a movie that's about adult Sam coming of having a a second coming of age in her late twenties. I totally. guess it would yeah. be. Well, they were yeah they were twelve and seventy and then it, and then so they come back like twenty five. They're like twenty seven so or twenty eight. Wait, twenty five plus twelve. Oh, they're like in their mid thirties. Okay. Yeah, which I will say, did you see Lady Bird? No, and I really meant to okay I hated it um <laughs> not to bias you but like that won't okay. affect you. you you're independent but it reminds me of that in that sense because Lady Bird is essentially Greta Gerwig the director and writer it's it's like 100% autobiographical and it is kind of the same idea only instead of like making up a story kind of well I mean this could have been autobiographical about the writer of this film as well but Lady Bird is like explicitly this is about Greta Gerwig's experience growing up in Sacramento so in a sense, it is her as an adult looking back on it in the same way of now and then, except she doesn't have a thing where it's like adults, like an adult actually actively mm -hmm. looking at like very literal sense of looking back on it. Mm -hmm. It's just a snapshot of the adolescent period. But I will say that I much prefer the now and then <laughs> version <laughs> because I even as little growth as there may have been in a like really tangible way because the treehouse scene is very like okay you came to that conclusion of like maybe I just need to be more positive or like whatever the conclusion really is yeah <laughs> something about like openness to like yeah making connections with other people yeah essentially like Chrissy's like maybe you need to grow up and she's like maybe you're right and then like happy music plays yeah basically <laughs> which is still more of an more of a conclusion than ladyberg ladyberg Ladybird <laughs> comes to, so I will. G I'll give it. I'll give it that much in terms of coming of age of looking back on on childhood. I love where this went because, like, so the theme. So, like, what we talked about has been great. Like, I love the direction that it went in. What I had thought we were gonna maybe talk about, but I like this organic way that it went was kind of the theme of like adults suck and parents suck, which still actually fits into what we were talking about with Sam. The adults do suck a lot in this movie. Yeah, except which, for Crazy Pete. Except for Crazy Pete. Crazy Pete's the only good guy. Which sort of fits into the perspective we have of Sam at the end, which is that, like, everyone sucks. Kind of, like, no one's really... Yeah. She says something like, I just kind of thought that everything is supposed to be shitty. That that's just, like, she kind of, like, thinks that everything is just like that. That yeah. that's just, like, how life is. And she's like, so, no, I'm, I'm not happy. But, like, she doesn't seem particularly unhappy either. Right? Yeah. She's just like, I just thought everything is supposed to be shitty I'm like I'm kind of lonely I'm not really that happy she doesn't actually seem super miserable to me yeah although I think the plot wants you to think that she's miserable yeah well she seems like sleepwalking yeah like she's not fully living fully present in her life which Chrissy actually does kind of seem fully present despite yeah. the, her shallowness and her plastic covered couch yeah 
<laughs> horrible very present <laughs> okay to wrap this up to wrap it up a couple a couple silly questions uh well one of them is not really silly uh when did you realize the little twist of the murder mystery which a lot of i saw a lot of critical reviews where they're like the the characters in the movie were the last people to realize who crazy pete really was whereas like the viewers knew much earlier i actually didn't i'm not very good at that mm, i think probably when the first time i saw it i i had no idea like i thought crazy pete was the murderer oh. right like <laughs> yeah until like it's revealed on screen as a kid as an adult i feel like watching it this time i'm like okay here's where the clue was i mm. could have known that mm -hmm. crazy pete was the murderer but like definitely the first time i watched it when i was a kid i thought that the plot twist was that crazy pete was a murderer <laughs> like <laughs> until it was like revealed so there uh what we're discussing is that there's a one of the only male characters who probably has the most screen time of any male character in the film is crazy pete who is a an older man who seems like vaguely vagrant like we don't really know if mm -hmm. he has a home or not but he only comes out at night which they tell him is weird and they are trying to there's rumors around town of like why he's so weird so they go to the library trying to find info on him during which time they recover traumatic memories of roberta's mother's death which also i thought that was really weird so her mom died in a car accident and the newspaper article has like graphic details <laughs> Yeah, so like she was in a lot of pain. But like <laughs> she slowly her dad always told her that her mom died before she ever didn't. She never felt any pain, and she died immediately. And then it turns out that in this newspaper article, it's like here's all the horrible graphic medical detail about how slowly this woman died, pinned under her car with massive head trauma, and like talking to the EMTs about how much pain she was in. And like you're like, wow, like, okay. I know newspapers now wouldn't have that, but I did want pause for a second. I was like, would they maybe? Maybe have that much detail in 1970 i don't know no it seems seems a little bit unscrupulous seems but very not phi protected health information it doesn't right. seem uh usually they just say things like funerals died in the hospital yeah. like <laughs> but anyway so yeah crazy pete so they're trying to figure out why is he so weird what's he doing so they're looking at these articles and eventually through their scavenging and having an encounter with him where he saves one of their lives allegedly which also is a stupid Thing that we won't get into it's a, it's a silly like plot device that happens although i was like very nervous about the idea of climbing into storm drains Hell for no. like a long time after especially that. after like it I don't but know also, what like, yeah, just don't climb into storm drains. <laughs> don't do Terrible it. idea. Like, I'm sorry you lost your bracelet down a storm drain, <laughs> but don't go in after it. And so from all that stuff, they find out that Crazy Pete was actually a victim of the murder. So his family was murdered by this robber. So you don't realize that until the end. So they are scavenging up all this information. It's not really a big reveal, but it's basically the device of that is like, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge someone. And right. don't be mean to people for being weird, which is like great that's right. a great message for little kids and i think the other thing there is he's somebody who has a lot of survivor's guilt about his family being murdered when he wasn't home and he has like missed out on a lot of stuff by only living at night he kind of tells sam the main character you know she will miss a lot of things if she continues to try and like cut herself off from things that might hurt her yeah which she's she says in her narration that that was like a big epiphany that she had but then this is like 25 years later yeah. where she's like really finally taking that message yeah. in which is kind of funny so we're gonna end with we're gonna end with two things first thing i really wanted someone to come out in this movie so when I was a kid, I totally thought that Roberta was a lesbian mm -hmm. and I was like very confused by the fact that she was living with her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. It is confusing. She's, she's queer, maybe not lesbian, but she's but definitely like, queer. And like, I think Sam is queer too. 
Yeah. I want, yeah, I, like, I just yeah, wish adult, there was a moment. Adult Sam definitely reads as potentially queer. Especially, and- she has a line where she says, like, she's ta- she's basically just saying my relationships have failed but what she specifically says is like men. with men yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which i wanted like, that to be the, the moment where they were like sam what about women <laughs> yeah i feel like sam wouldn't yeah she's she's not a very convincing heterosexual <laughs> let's just put it that way yeah um I think particularly in her contrast to this like model of traditional heterosexuality as portrayed by Chrissy, which is being portrayed sort of from Sam's point of view and in a very like as a very claustrophobic yeah. type of thing. Oh, my God. It's making even more sense um, Does like maybe sort of signal that like maybe Sam is not like doesn't fit very well into that paradigm yeah. in some way. But, the, but it doesn't give us that. Yeah, it doesn't give um, us It's just like. It's because she has daddy issues. Yeah. Like, but okay. as, long, she, as long as she accepts it, now she can move on. It's just, right. It's just like, accept your daddy issues, Sam. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not a very fulfilling answer. Yeah. And I'm like, as a kid, I, I was definitely convinced that Roberta was, I was like, it's, it baffled me that she had a boyfriend. As an adult, I'm, I don't actually find that baffling. I'm like, yeah, yeah me either. She, like, she could have a... Um, a boyfriend, but I feel like maybe as a kid, she maybe looked like some of the lesbian women I knew. And so in my mind, I was like, mm. well, clearly she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, as an adult, I'm like, that is some very simplistic thinking, eight-year-old mm. Hannah. Like, <laughs> um, canceled. Eight-year-old Hannah is canceled. Eight-year-old <laughs> Hannah is canceled. I'm more, as an adult, I'm like more intrigued by the idea of Sam as somebody who finds the heterosexual marriage and children paradigm as represented by Chrissy sort of threatening because Chrissy's life does look sort of scary as seen through and confining as seen through the lens of like Sam yeah Sam's narration yeah through someone who's never gonna be able to do that yeah the one thing that for me as an adult was like a little bit reassuring about all of the other troubling shit at the end of this movie where I'm like what is that what am I supposed to be taking away here was that Sam does have this very real moment of like emotional connection with the other women and Chrissy's newborn daughter that to me that moment is like more real and convincing than her moment of being like clearly I just need to like acknowledge my daddy issues and then I too will be able to like be happily married and procreating yeah which like I didn't really believe in yeah um, it doesn't feel but authentic. I did really believe in her emotional connection to the other women there as like a touchstone of home and of it being okay to get support from people who are different from you even like you don't have to be the same as your friends in order to like have value in your friendship so I found I found yeah. that moment of connection with the baby more meaningful as an adult and the scene in the treehouse much grosser yeah (laughs) yeah like yeah the whole treehouse scene needs to be cut or rewritten yeah something we're gonna end on something silly so there's a very silly moment in 1970 during the childhood scene where one of them asks like hey guys if we were trapped on a desert island which one of us would you eat first (laughs) right so uh, what who would you eat first you were trapped on a desert island with those four girls and you were the same age as them because let's not make it weird Mm, i think teeny i think so too um yeah and now i feel really bad saying this because teeny (laughs) represents the sort of height of like performative glamorous femininity yes oh sorry that's me alert performative glamorous femininity (laughs) 
she's a movie star and she has always wanted to be a movie star which sam tells us oh wait so are you picturing the adult versions e- of them yeah but like even kid teeny mm-hmm. is i don't feel like she would be super useful on a desert island and i feel really bad for her <laughs> for making this value judgment on this kind of particular type of femininity and i i mean teeny does turn out to be actually a pretty nurturing friend for sam mm-hmm. i agree and but also because like chrissy's the one who's gonna do the mouth to mouth like that's right. what really turned me of like right yeah, how would you teeny? Yeah, that I- Roberta is the strongest, and Sam is probably the most creative thinker, and Chrissy is probably the most loyal. Teeny has lots of good qualities, but she is <laughs> doesn't top any of those people in anything that I feel like would be useful on a desert island. So yeah. I think I would eat teeny first, even yeah. though you would probably get the least nutrition from eating teeny because <laughs> she's the smallest. True, true, and she's probably like on some weird like Hollywood diets. Also. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, even if we're picturing child teeny child teeny is also the smallest of yeah. them so yeah played by thora birch which is cool so we both are gonna eat teeny yep yeah this concludes our, our chat about uh, our relationship with movies and now and then thank you so much for being on my podcast sure it was fun and i always end by saying bring your own popcorn It's a yelling toilet? Yeah, you'll see. Um, I I was able to find one other, well, it came up on a coming of age, like, all-girl list, and it was like, I don't know about this one, directed by a woman, Virgin Suicides? Ooh. It gets to a finite point when they come to age, but yeah, that came up on a list, I'm like, that's not what this list should be. Sophia Coppola, though, wrote the screenplay as well, based on a book by a dude, though. I've never heard of this movie. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Oh, I meant this one. Oh, this one? Yeah. It's garbage. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a garbage movie by... But it's, you know, it's like a movie for little girls. It was a movie for teenage girls. Pre-teen girls, really. It feels very much like a Lifetime channel. Mm-hmm. Going, I mean, I've been looking up things you've been saying, and I was like, yeah, this, I get that vibe. Yeah. Or like a... Um, Maybe an ABC Family director. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it feels like a television movie. There it is. Yeah, they just started one day, and uh, up until very recently, we weren't, well, we never supposed to have the cats, we're still kind of not supposed to, but we've got, it's fine now, so now I may actually get maintenance and fix it, but it's been like that for several years. That's very exciting mm-hmm. toilet sound. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it'll stop eventually. It stops after the toilet does. It's weird. That's so funny. I've tried to fix it with my limited plumbing knowledge, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of charmed by your singing. horrific opera toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's her singing and screaming. Uh, I was telling Anna when you were in there that I found a list of like coming-of-age movies that were all girls, and one that was directed and written by a woman. But unfortunately, that should not have been a list because it was Virgin Suicides. Oh. which they don't 
come of age all the way. <laughs> they come of death. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't think I ever finished that. I had to watch it for a class, and I was oh. like, this is a good movie, but this is a weird class movie. I don't know what's going to happen to Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all, it's all in the title. I feel like you kind of, yeah. <laughs> what's the opposite bearing lead? Do you have auto-tune? Can people have auto-tune? Let's say no. Okay. I might have I, the technical abilities, but I don't know. No, I don't. I just think <laughs> that you should auto tune your toilet. Yeah, I just think you should record your toilet and auto tune it. There's a recording. I sample it and play with it in like GarageBand. Yeah, be, do like, it. It'd right. be funny. And you can take like an artsy picture of the toilet for like the cover of the EP that this will be. Of course, <laughs> it will be. <laughs> there's a the video. One of the videos that made me like laugh the hardest is there's a video on YouTube of wolves howling auto-tuned. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. I love auto-tuning things that shouldn't be auto-tuned. Or I love other people doing it because I don't know how they do it. It might be a program. It might be a fancy keyboard. I don't really know either. T-Pain just kind of does it with his mouth. I'm assuming he's magic. That lamp is so funny. It's like a small lamp, but large. They actually have even bigger ones at Ikea that are like this big. Oh, that's right. I have seen those, yeah. Very silly. <laughs> 